I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in our favorite video game. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Tremble before me, mortals, for I am amazing! I believe so, yes. No, it's it's not true. I, well, I think it is, and therefore we're going to go with it. Today we're going to be doing something I know that you guys truly enjoy, uh, and something that we don't do... V- as often as maybe we should, but we're going to do recipes. Absolutely. We're going to doing cooking recipes, uh, all about pumpkins because everything in Warcraft comes back to pumpkins. We've established this multiple times. It is the start and end of every, Plus, war. it is, it is the season. It is the season. It is, it is uh, the okay. spooky season. I'm, I'm going to actually say this and then we can get on to talking about the actual thing. I really like pumpkin pie. I really do too. That's it. Yeah, that, that was it. Pumpkin pie, pumpkin pie is good. So if it's if if that's your jam, hope you're enjoying it as much as we are this season because it is the season. But we're not going to be talking about pumpkins or pumpkin pie today. Instead, uh, we're going to be going something with uh, well, a little more wild speculation. And again, we know how much you folks love it. Uh, and we figured it was going to be uh, time to do it. And also, this was prompted by one of our Patreon supporters, Adele. Not to be confused with the singer. I don't think it's the singer. Most likely. If it is, you know, I like your albums. Very true. I I, I mean, seriously, I'm not kidding. (laughs) Uh, But this one started as, and I'm going to read the question off and kind of give you the idea of where we decided to go from here, because it got my wheels turning just a little bit. Uh, And it was from Adele for Lorewatch. My gut feeling says that we eventually have to face light fanatics. Scarlet Crusade, Bend to One Knee, Truth Narus, etc. They all tend to flirt with fascist attitudes. From that premise, what could this mean for the Alliance? And in what kind of raid setting should we get to fight Torellia? Well, we're going to deviate ever so slightly from that, but stay within the same wheelhouse because Adele, you got me thinking. You got me thinking about a topic that Matt has brought up multiple times whenever we talk about the light, and we do seem to talk about the light a lot over the course of our 200-some-odd episodes here. It's the light does, in fact, have a sort of dark side, and in some capacities, you're correct. It does flirt with almost totalitarian tendencies, and made me wonder we've had expansions where we've we've gone against the old gods we fought against void we fought against fell but what happens if we have to fight against the light and not the light per se because we've already talked about the light itself doesn't necessarily have an agenda um it doesn't necessarily have a a sort of mentality or will to of its own instead those that wield it use it in various ways and once somebody is deemed to be worthy to wield the light it seems that they never really get they get abandoned by it. Even in undeath, they can still call upon the light. And we got a little glimpse of what could potentially go wrong. And I think it's sort of the idea to sort of start with. And it's the alternate Draenor that we wound up going to towards Warlords of Draenor. We revisited when we were bringing in the Maghar Orcs or Maghar Orcs, excuse me. When we brought them in, we found out that those suffused with the light were waging a campaign across the entirety of that Draenor in which your options were join and be a servant and purified in the army of the light or perish. And we actively participated in that. If you, if you were a horde player and you unlocked the Makar orcs, 
you participated in freeing them and bringing them to our Azeroth in order to save them from that fate. But we never deal with that sort of essence, that entity or whatever that alternate Draenor light army is. Not really. We escape before that ever gets dealt with. And the implication is they have a massive force that they can call on. Orcs, ogres, uh, Draenei, all sorts of, of life across the entirety of Draenor that they've either converted or forced into servitude into this army that they can just fling at you. And we know dang well that they have access to a lot of really key things that might allow them to transverse dimensional space and time. Why? If they have access to any ships similar to the Exodar or Tempest Keep and all the things that orbit it, those are transdimensional ships. If they have anything that's left over from the Legion, those are transdimensional ships. We know that. And it started, what would an entire expansion that we are starting to fight against those that wield the light in that manner start to look like? Matt, where do you think we should start with that? Well, first off, I have to start by completely attacking everything you just said. You can. Uh, not that you're wrong exactly, but you left out a lot. Feel free. This the, is what this is, this is for. At the end of Warlords of Draenor, the the Iron Horde that mm-hmm. was that was ruled by Gromash Hellscream more or less sells out to the the Legion, just as the Horde did in our history in the in the Azeroth we're familiar with history. And as a result. The entirety of Tinian Jungle becomes a fell-infested, blighted nightmare. Yep. Now, if you look at the actual history of our the the original Draenor that we saw in the first couple of games, the the one that became Outland, fell energy kills your world. Yeah, that's disputed. Yes. Yep. Not just explodes it. That's just that's if you're I'm ripping paraphrasing, open multiple but portals. Yes. Yeah, it kills it. But it if you look at you go watch the Warcraft movie even, and it's the same basic story. You know, the world is dying. The, the land can't, can't support food. life anymore. Yeah, because yeah. the fell is basically consuming it. It's burning the planet up. It's destroying its ability to support life. So when you're doing the Maghar storyline, when you are like recruiting them in Battle for Azeroth, one of the things that the light, the side, light side, light bound, I think they're called, light keep bound, saying yes. is, they keep saying, this is your fault. You did this. You've destroyed our world. We are, this is the only way to save it. You have to join us. Because this is you. And the Maghar never really deal with that. They just reject it out of hand. They just say, no, you're, 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 you're monsters. You're doing this to us. And it's like, wait a minute. At the end of the expansion, y'all did consort with the Legion. Like a whole chunk of you did. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gromash didn't, but a big number of orcs did. It's like, even with Gromash fighting it, they all drank the Kool-Aid, man. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Eye guy, Kilrog. Kilrog Deadeye went right for it. A lot of them did. And as a result, all that fell. Instead of the somewhat more gradual process in our history, our our Draenor was, was more gradually exposed to it over a longer period of time, so they had more time to come up with ways around it. This world didn't. They just had, like, if you go look at, go, go play, when you go play uh, Warlords of Draenor, think about the opening scenario. Oh, it's, it's think about brutal when you're in Tanan, when you're in Tanan jungle, it's brutal, but look at the Tanan jungle. Yeah. Full of life teeming with like axe beaks and all sorts of other things. Yeah. At the end of the expansion, it's decimated. when you, when, yeah, it's destroyed. It's, it's complete. There's like fell volcanoes. It's just, everything is messed up. That's why, that's why you look at, look at, just go to hellfire Citadel and just like, we have flying now and Matt's right. Like, look. Get up on your flying mount, get up near the citadel, and just look around. Look, look at the epicenter of where the fell touches and how far out that destruction sort of reaches. How far that I mean, destruction is sort of like maybe the wrong word for it. The absence the of life, yeah, the blighting, yeah. right? Look and, how far that reaches. And one of the things that I've always wanted to talk about on that subject, since we're talking about the light here, is the light seems uniquely bad at dealing with fell. Well, because isn't like, fell the combination of when like it's when light and, and void explosively yeah. annihilate each other? That's like one of the arguments. I don't know if that's actually true. But they, it's any point sure. they can put out a book. But my point's just the light when when you see the light in Legion when you you deal with like Zira, the they're like they're dedicated to fighting the fell above all else. And I think if you want to talk about 
how we could end up fighting against the light. I think if, especially if we're going to use the light bound as an example, I think you have to focus on that reaction that they are people that believe in the light who are pushed to the point where they don't see another option where it's literally, you have to join us. You have to submit because you've done this. This world, and, look, this world is doomed. And it's thematically appropriate for the light because, again, we talk about how the light sees one path. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what they're seeing here. They see that one path. And that's what they sort of latch on to. There's literally all you're doing by, by not joining us is is making everything worse. Like that, and that's their argument. We talked about like how the light ends towards, towards fascistic tendencies. I don't think that's the light I didn't say does fascism. In I said totalitarian. No, no. They said fascist. They did in their email, and I I want to point out that that's not entirely inaccurate. It's not. It's not. It's not the light that does this, but it's people because of the way the light works. We, we've always assumed that the void is the thing that drives people insane because it provides you so many different possible truths, and your brain can't handle it. But the brain can't handle complete truth either. Think Absolute about truth your, is a weird yeah, burden. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah. And it's in, and think about the idea of of having all wiggle room cut out of your life. Like you don't have the capacity anymore because the light is so strong with you. You don't have the ability to go. Maybe you don't have the ability to doubt anymore. It's like it's and, like sort of like the the idea of like the psychops being able to see the the exact time and and of their own death and everything between that moment and what they're doing now doesn't matter. They can do whatever they want. There is no morality because they know the absolute end of it, right? Like it it's sort of like it, this weird thing. I get what you're saying, and I and I'm 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 definitely agree with you. It, I just think in terms of looking at how we're gonna talk about this, the way to look at it is. Sure, you like you, there's there's plenty of light wielders who are kind and and heroic and want to save people and do good things, but that's because that's who they are. Mm-hmm. The light does not provide you that moral instruction. That's the the people who came up with the the way the light is worshipped by humans and to a lesser extent dwarves in Azeroth. The way their paladins work, the way their churches work, that so much of that comes from them. If you look at how the Draenei do it. Theirs is, uh, again, it's almost built on the rejection of everything that the, the Eridar now stand for. Mm-hmm. Their light worship is everything they do is wrong. So we'll do what we do and we'll do. But the Draenei have also come through some astonishingly hardships. And the Draenei you're seeing on the other, out the other Draenor didn't go through them. They started to go through them. And then a bunch of aliens showed up and saved the day. And don't forget, like when we get there, we're watching them get sacrificed. We're watching that happen in real time. We're actively mm-hmm. stopping that. Like, and you know, there's a lot of I I really feel like that that opening uh, battle for Azeroth. I I don't know what to call it. Uh, experience scenario. starting, you know, whatever you want to call it. That opening has a lot of impact onto the functioning of of what draenor becomes because what you have there is the first off you lose velen yep and without velen you lose the person who will stand up and tell the naru no if he believes they're wrong you know he's done that before when zira dies he doesn't like collapse and go ah he's like okay well gather her up you know we're going to use the the light remaining within her he is a pragmatist you know, he led his people into their Survival. exile, you know, because it was the way to keep them alive. He respects the light. He uses the light, but he never puts anything above his people. And when he finally realizes that his people don't have anywhere else to go, like that there's no more running. We can't run anymore. We're, we're on this planet and this is the planet we're going to be on. He joins the Alliance and becomes part of that. And when the Legion shows up, he realizes there is no escape. There is no path out of this. Mm-hmm. There's no way through but to go through it. And you, you see him change and you see and it, that amount of flexibility is amazing in somebody as old as he is. You know, someone who's been around as long as, as Velen has, but can still decide, no, we have to change. I need to change my approach. That's a pretty amazing thing. The Draenei on the other Draenor lose him. And while I love Yorel, I think Yorel is great. She's young Yorel and untested is, for a lot she's of much. Stuff. She's much younger than Velen is. She takes on the responsibility. And then a Naru shows up and is like, 
it's it's deeply hinted, if not outright stated, that it's zero. Yeah, shows yeah. up. I don't and, think they flat they, out say it, but I think the the evidence leans very heavily. She, she she shows up and is like, "Okay, you've almost been destroyed by these people. I'll show you the right way to to save your world and to save all worlds." And and keep that in mind as we just talk about that to save all worlds. Yeah, because we still have these existential threats here. That's the thing. If the light becomes this kind of over the top um, totalitarian force in the hands of people who are less able to to deal with nuance than Velen, it will be because they are afraid for themselves and for everything else. Um, there's a a line from a Grant Morrison comic book where he has Batman talking to his son Damien, and he says, "Your rage is born of fear." Yep. And that's what we're looking at with this, because the light isn't afraid, but mortal beings get afraid. And we always have that idea of, you know, the, the oldest and strongest fear is fear of the unknown. And that's the whole thing. The light is all about revelation. It's about showing you things. It's about, you know, we're not going to have ambiguity. We're not going to have possible truths. We're going to have the truth and it will show you everything. Now, think about the fear inherent in a worldview that looks at everything, that wants to know everything, that it does not want to have doubt, it does not want to have possibilities, it wants actual, you know, it wants an actualization, it wants the, the thing, not the idea of the thing, not the concept of possibly the thing, it wants everything planned out and done. And that's why the light can be a, a really wonderful beneficial force but it can also be just as insane driving. Like we have seen this like in our own history. How many times people who really honestly meant, you know, the best, they were like, you know, no, well we have this truth and we can save these people. And they don't stop to listen to what those people are telling them. Like, you know, Hey, that doesn't work for us. That's not how we do things. That could very much be the way that this would go. But the thing is, is that asking questions like, you know, what kind of ride setting should we get to fight Turalyon? Turalyon is still in love with a woman who has rejected just about everything that he holds dear. Yeah, she has embraced, essentially, the mortal enemy of the light. And he still loves her. To the point where you saw an old, a possible future where she'd totally given into the void, and he still went to her to try to talk her out of it. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think we... I think we can agree that I don't think Turalyon would be somebody we would have to fight. I, I think it's, I get why people said it because Turalyon sure. was like, oh, yeah. he was, he was contemptuous of Lady Liadrin when he ran into her. Like when you do the, uh, the war front in battle for Azeroth, he's, he's flat out. Like, you know, what kind of paladin would serve the horde? Like he is straight up dismissive of her. He is. Yeah, and that's the thing is, that's what you need to look at. That's the problem here. It's not the light necessarily. The light, the light wants what the light wants. The void wants what the void wants. But they're not beings, you know. Like the void lords are beings, but the void is not a being. The void is a force. It's a principle. It's just a like the light. Cosmic, yeah, and the light is too. There are beings that can you know channel and control and are part of the light. Those beings are not the thing itself, and. Turalyon's a really good example of someone who is pretty much a good person and, and is very much, you know, in tune with the light. But if you go back to, I think it's be, uh, beyond the dark portal might be, or it might be the other one. I don't remember the, the both of the novels, but there's two novels. Turalyon appears in pretty heavily. And in one of them, he's like, as Lothar is struck down in front of him, as he sees Lothar die from an ambush, he, he comes to this realization that the orcs are like, they don't belong on Azeroth. Which is, on the face of it, yeah, they're not from Azeroth, you're right. But he comes to this, it, if you read it, it actually comes out coming pretty close to full-on xenophobia. Yeah, and it, I mean, with and I hate to say it, but like, from his perspective and the wars that he's lived through. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm it not makes arguing sense, that, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and this is more not, for the people, the people that are listening, not necessarily us, right? Like, this is, yeah. Some folks may not understand that, and I would highly recommend going back and looking at Turalyon's past. I think we have a few episodes where we talk about it as well. Um, but like his, his views seem extreme, but you can kind of understand why they are that extreme. What he lived through, what he witnessed, what he saw. Uh, and everything that he's gone through, even recently, like it, I can kind of, you can kind of understand where that close to xenophobia thing comes from. Not saying yeah, it's right, but it's just, it's yeah. understandable. My point is just that 
Tarayan tends towards absolutes in his thinking mm-hmm. because, like, he, as you he's pointed a out, he's a paladin. That's what he. That's what he deals with. Well, plus, I mean, if you think about it, the other paladins were all warriors who took up training in the principles of the light. Mm-hmm. But Tarayan was a priest. Yep, Tarayan was a priest in training who picked up martial discipline. Like they, they basically, he came to it from the other side. He wasn't the same as, as Lo, as, uh, not Lothar, um, Uther. He wasn't the same as Uther. He wasn't the same as, as, as Davenrad. He wasn't the same as the others. Uh, uh, Tyrion. He wasn't they like were, them. They were knights that picked up the yeah. light. Yep. They were knights that picked up the light. He was a priest who took up the sword and his mentality is different than theirs. His mentality is a much more like Sir Zeliac's than it is yes. like theirs. Yep. Uh, Sir Zeliac is the undead who can still channel the light when you do Naxxramas. One of the original four horsemen. Yeah. And Sir Zeliac is a forsaken slash scourge uh, who is straight up under the control of the Lich King. He obeys the Lich King. He has no choice but to obey the Lich King. And yet he can still call the light because he still believes in it. He still, it's not that he feels I have power over you. It's he is a supplicant calling on it. Asking it to fill him, asking it to aid him. Despite that it hurts him and burns yeah. him as he does but, so. But it's that relationship. It's that supplication that that's so interesting. Because I, a while back, Joe was talking about Anduin and why Anduin's such a good ser- good tool for the, the jailer to use. And it was that idea that Anduin calls upon something outside of himself. That in a, in a very real way, Anduin's relationship to the light is not much different than the forced relationship he's going through now. It's just that the light doesn't force him to do it. The light lets him call upon it. Like, like You know what I'm saying? And I think that's really important when talking about the, the way that the light could go wrong. Because the light wants what it wants. It wants to you know illuminate. It wants to be light. But it also you can... Know? But it also can be a scourge itself. Yeah, it can. Well, we, I mean, take take a take a, a, a magnifying glass and go out to an anthill, and you can see what the light can do. Well, I mean, go look at go look at Revendreth. I was just going to say that. What, yeah, yeah. But my point is, and I realize I've been going on for a bit, so I will shut up and let you talk. But the point I'm trying to make here is that it comes down to the people who are using it, because we are lenses. Yep, we are focused for the points. light, and it's all in how we focus it. The light will not stop you from using it to burn them. When Tyrion Fordring uh, chose to to free Eitrig, he was judged by the paladins. He was judged by his peers, and they stripped him of his title and and said, "You know, we have stripped you of the light." But they couldn't. The light doesn't. You don't tell the light who the light reaches out to. The light will reach out to anybody that believes it enough. Or, or that's like, just deemed worthy in some capacity, which we, we yeah. still don't really know the true defining features. I don't think there's anything to do with worth. I straight up, I do not believe there is anything to do with worth in this procedure. Okay. Because every time we've looked at it, the light does not seem to care. The light will come to the Scarlet Crusaders, even though they're torturing and murdering people. The light will come to Zeliac, even though he is a servant of the Lich King. The light will come to the Zandalar. Even though they are, you know, completely opposed to most of the people on Azeroth who use the light, the light does not pick sides in these fights. And that, I think, is the thing. How are we going to end up fighting the light? We're going to end up fighting the light the same way we would fight anybody who's throwing, who's using a magical force to kill us. Yeah, and and Imag- go ahead. I'm now. I'm going to stop. I was going to say, and I think now it's time to kind of shift gears and walk it back to how sort of these things will sort of work work in game context or at least story-wise. And I will say that I think Revendroth gives us a sort of idea of how something like that would potentially work, at least in a smaller scale that possibly could be a larger scale. And if you are not familiar with what happened in Revendroth, there's a light-scarred area uh, where literally... It is just ruins and it is devouring light everywhere. And that is where, at this point, Denathrius had sent all of the people that he uh, deemed enemies of the state because it would be continually torturous for them. And it was anathema to their being. And we find out later after we free, and I can't remember the Naru's name and I apologize, 
that this was all the result of the light in the form of the Naru bringing war to Revendreth for the crimes that Denathrius had committed. We don't know specifically what those crimes were, but it was enough to tick off the, the Naru in such a, a manner that they came in force and that they dealt such a devastating blow to that area that it's a good half of Revendreth. Maybe a third uh, is just completely uninhabitable. And bear in mind that this is a realm oh, completely. Um, Go ahead. Zorali, by the way. Zorali, thank you. But bear in mind, too, that we've talked about this before. These are realms that are shaped by the master of that domain. So after this war, after this battle, after this area becomes scourged by light, either Denathrius couldn't bring it back to normal or chose not to. But with his own hubris, I almost believe that he couldn't. And that scares me with how purifying and and destructive the light can be. Now, we talk about how this might happen on Azeroth. And I think the answer is fairly simple as far as a start goes. You have this light-bound army that now has either saved or failed to save their world and is now traveling through the interdimensional space-time wibbly-wobbly stuff between worlds in their ships. And they know that a place exists that heroes came from, that those that they know call upon the light, that those that they called allies at one point live. And I think that they would try to seek out Azeroth. And I think at first it would open with, well, open arms. They would be welcomed in by the Alliance, by those that wield the light, by those that didn't do uh, the Maghar opening. Because, again, at this point, relations between the Alliance and the Horde, not exactly the best. They probably haven't explained uh, where Thrall's sister came from or any of that other stuff. Uh, or female thrall, whatever. I think we determined that it was a sister. We think we ultimately decided on. She counts as a sister. I mean, whether yeah. or not, she, you know, obviously she's not like he didn't grow up with her because she's sure. another reality. But yeah, I, I think you're, when your mother and your father are the same, it's a sister. Sure. But I don't think any of that information has been shared with anybody in the Alliance, especially because even after Battle for Azeroth is done, we're now dealing with an existential threat at a cosmic level in the Shadowlands. All the people that would possibly know to explain any of that to each other are in the Shadowlands. They're not here. They're not running the day-to-day operation. They either don't know or are unfamiliar with everything that happened. And I guarantee you that, you know, our our, our regent is not going and having a conversation with Gen Greyman. Like, that's just not happening. Um, so now you have Yrell and this army show up to Azeroth. They're greeted warmly by the Alliance, and they start asking to see around the planet. They want to see what Azeroth looks like. They want to see this place that these champions that call upon light and fight for the good call home. What happens when they start to see places like the Plaguelands, both of them, Eastern and Western, despite any recovery efforts that they've they've gone through? What happens when they see Westfall and how destroyed it is? They fly over uh, Hygel and see that there's an elemental plane of fire creeping into it still, still there, not gone, still there. They see the the maelstrom and, and the torment that it caused around the area around it. They see places like Fellwood, a place so suffused with fell energy because of its sordid history that it's not recoverable. Like druids flat out don't know how to fix that. And then they go and see a giant sword sticking out of a, a the a desert area that causes the planet itself to bleed corrupting blood. And I say corrupting with, with air quotes here. If you are just saw your world go through hell and back and you came to Azeroth and you saw that, what would you think? How would you react to that? How do you think that they would? And I think that it would start slow and it would start with them trying to offer to fix or help fix things. And it would be in, start with them trying to heal wounds. It would start with them trying to purify areas and bring the light back to it where they feel that it is void touched or scarred. And there's plenty of those places around here. I mean, just look at Silithus. I mean, we literally have a, for lack of a better term, old God body infestation right there in Akaraj. In I think that they would start trying to destroy and purify these places. And at first it would seem like that's a really good idea. Yeah, sure. Okay. We want to take, we want to go clear out this old God infested area. 
all right, we're kind of on board with that. But how long does that start to be? Now they start drawing other fanatics. Now, Adele mentioned the Scarlet Crusade. And we've talked about the Scarlet Crusade as, as well. They were corrupted. They were not what they wanted to be, but they were easily corrupted because they were fanatics. They Well, yeah, and but we should point out, even when they were directly under the thumb of a Nathrazim, mm-hmm. which they were, Malganus was controlling them for a while there, they could still contr- call on the light. Mm-hmm. Some of them were straight up still paladins. That's the thing. When we keep talking about, you know, what's it going to look like when we're fighting the light? It's going to look like when we fight anything that can use the light against us. And we've done this before. We have fought beings that used the light against us before. Um, we've we fought Zandalar prelates that were using the light against us in Throne of Thunder. Yep. In fact, I remember that's when people started freaking out about the idea of Zandalar paladins. Because that's what they were. They were using the light. They were you know, channeling seals. They were doing all that stuff. Um, the Scarlet Crusade is interesting because I have no idea what its current state is. No, none of us do. It hasn't been discussed. I mean, the last time we heard from them at all was, I think, just before Battle for Azeroth came out when they were painting Anduin Rin as like the, the lover slash pawn of, of Sylvanas Windrunner. In an e- extreme example of you got that from this. Um, if you go back and look, there were actually like pamphlets being distributed throughout Azeroth where they were like talking about how Sylvanas was going to install the Banshee Queen on the throne of, Az- of, of Stormwind. And, yeah. Yeah. And so they're, they're still, they're still way out there. Like and- if, whatever they're doing, they're still not, you know, they, they have not come back to like some form of rationality, but they apparently still exist. And what happens if somebody who comes to them and goes to the, this disparate group, very clearly wielders of the light, very clearly on a mission to want to purify the world that they live in, right or wrong, doesn't matter. They're still on the same path, technically, that the lightbound is trying to save the world and make sure that it is pure and you know, illuminate the darkness. And now they're leaderless. They don't have leadership. They may be scattered throughout the world in tiny pockets. Uh, there may be, you know, when we first go back to, to like the Scarlet Monastery and stuff like that, they're training new troops. Like this is this is not a, a small mom and pop organization. They have troops that they're training. We know that they're still around. But what happens if somebody from the Lightbound goes and approaches them and says, hey, we're on the same mission you are. Why don't you come work with us? Listen, we saw all this fell marked areas. We saw the the scourge of undead that is still plaguing you to this day. Listen, we just want to save your planet. Here's what happened to ours. Do you think the Scarlet Crusade wouldn't jump on that opportunity to work I, with a I legitimate think it's at group? Least a, it's a sales pitch that at least has a good chance of work. Yeah. Um, the, their xenophobia might be a problem, but I definitely think it's it's... It's got a chance of working. The thing about any of these groups is that there's always a chance that you can you can appeal to their like. Mutual I don't hatred. know how. To, not even that, but I mean that's certainly part of it. But it's more like they think of themselves as the heroes. Yeah, they've sacrificed so much. Everybody's they the want, hero of their own story. But really, they really it's important to them to be the hero. Yep. Um. So it, you- there's an old thing about the sunk cost fallacy and the concept of, of, you know, was it all for nothing? Did I do all this stuff for nothing? All the things they've done, they have to believe that those things were worth doing in order to, to not just, you know, roll up in a ball and just, you know, fall apart at the idea of, you know, everything that happened to them since the scourge was first released into Lordaeron, all the things they've done since, if it wasn't, if it wasn't the right thing to do, then what was, you know, what, what happened there, there's a weight to these kind of things and coming along and basically saying, you know, no, you've wanted to do the right thing. Maybe you weren't, you know, you've been misled by people who didn't have your best interests at heart. You've been lied to that happens, but you know, here we are. Um, I'd like you to meet Zira uh, and she will explain to you. And, you know, seeing this, this, Naru Prime bursting in light, or whoever's leading them. Maybe it's not Zira, whatever. Just that idea. It's it's saying no. You're not wrong. You are on the right path. You are you are trying to do the right thing. We get it, and we're you know we feel we've we've all felt the doubt you're feeling now. Let us banish your doubt and let us put you on the right path, the path that you know someone helped us to find too. It's just, it is, 
the kind of argument that works in real life all the time. Oh yeah, easily. And it is it is almost tailor made for the kind of group like the Scarlet Crusade who have lost so much. Um, every time they've tried to like set up their perfect new society that that will deal with the, the undead once and for all and, and save like Lordaeron, somebody's come along to stop them. I mean, you know, look at what happened to them in Northrend. Uh, look what happened to them when they retreated back to the monastery and tried to just you know come you know reformat themselves. No, it keeps keeps happening. So yeah, I could see them taking a lifeline, absolutely. And they're not the only group no, but that I, I think they could possibly reach out to. Go ahead. Imagine all those possible tw- old Twilight's Hammer guys. Oh yeah, like they've lost everything. The void. You know, you could go to them and go say you you listened to the void, you trusted the void, it abandoned you. How many times the light does not abandon its champions? You know, you've been wrong, you've been misled. Who knows the darkness better than someone who's walked through it? You know that it is that it what what's happening. You could we save can others. Give you, yeah, yeah. We can give you what they've what they've pretended they could give you. We could give you the actual truth. So that's to me like that is really a big part of this. Like this, this is a kind of if you want to see how the light's going to become a threat that we have to deal with. Think about how it could spread, and the fact that it can appeal to people. In ways that you know things we faced in the past never could. Like it can reach out and say, "We will help you." It can be compassionate. Imagine that compassion being used to turn people into killers. We know that this happens. Now we get to see it. And and like, there, there are ways for this to work. Yeah, absolutely. I was gonna say, and Matt's right. And Matt's right. Like how many of these groups that we've dealt with over the years, how many of these organizations have these dark moments? And we talk about this a lot that we haven't even dealt with yet. We still haven't dealt with a lot of stuff. We kind of come in, clean up the big mess and then leave and leave it for other people to take care of. And that sort of creates this perfect storm. You know, let's say your elves that live in Silithus that have been fighting eternally against uh, the the Silithid that live in in Ankaraj. You live through the 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 war with the bugs, and it's still there. It hasn't really been dealt with. They're still present, but you've been left to deal with it on your own. You know, you're the pr- person that you're supposed to have called leadership is out in the Shadowlands trying to hunt somebody that. Yeah, that's a problem, but this is still an issue here. Or maybe like the Scarlet Crusade and the Twilight's Hammer and all these other groups that we've killed their leaders, we've taken away the voice that was was giving them direction, uh, we've destroyed or made dormant the old gods that pulled their strings. It's a vacuum, and it's a vacuum that could easily be filled with that touch of compassion. And a lot of like I think people underestimate how much compassion can swing that one killer from one devotion to another. And there's been plenty of books on it. Uh, there's been plenty of, of fantasy novels that explain how easily a serial killer can go from an amoral, you know, killer to somebody who thinks they're doing the moral right, or maybe they always started with. Now yeah, you- or, or for that matter, I mean, something that, especially in Azeroth, for us, there's an uncertainty to things. Mm-hmm. We have we can't really prove that what we believe is true. These guys can. They can back it up. They have the the receipts, for lack of a better word. They've got the big flying ships. They've got the glowing light beings. They, you know, they straight up have what they, everything they say, it isn't necessarily faith. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's backed up. They've got the documents. So when they come to you and say, okay, now, you know, we've seen this world, we've looked at what it is, the potential that it has, the, you know, the greatness sleeping inside of it, and we want to help shepherd it forward. They're not lying. That's the other thing that this would make them such an interesting villain, in that you don't want to just wipe them out. You want them to stop doing what they're doing, but at the same time, you kind of want them to stop doing what they're doing, like, as peacefully as you can. Because you don't want like, to kill them. They're, they're not doing it out of malice. Exactly. Right. And that makes all the difference. Like when um, imagine like a tearful, oh, bloody heck. I just, you're Imagine a tearful URL at like during her boss fight with you saying, you know, this doesn't have to happen. Just back down and we can save your world. And, you know, and that's, it's like, you can see that working on some people. Maybe it even makes you feel uncomfortable. And that's something we haven't had in World of Warcraft for a long time. Mm-hmm. An enemy that doesn't make a you sim- immediately. Yeah. A sympathetic enemy. Yeah. Somebody that they have a point. 
Like they, they, you know, they're going too far. They're doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, but they have a point. You know, Azeroth does need help. There are places on the world that have been like blighted and scarred and left to rot. Um, there is this corruption that is like infesting the world. We know they're down there, and you know, we we've seen them. And I so th- yeah, there's there's a lot to it. And I think maybe that's how it opens up, right? Like to 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 go back to the root of the question of how this sort of plays out, and and I think that they. They're welcome to Azeroth. They're welcomed with open arms by those that wield the light. They're shown the world. And then as things start to coalesce, you start to see them make those overtures to those disparate groups, those groups that have lost their purpose, the groups that always thought they were doing the right thing or serving a higher purpose in what they were doing. And the next thing you know, the Scarlet Crusade becomes a threat again, uh, seemingly out of nowhere. We haven't dealt with these guys in five, six years. We thought we took care of this problem. And then all of a sudden they're organized, they're fanatical again, and they're wielding light uh, as a weapon against us. And they're taking their fight to the, the, not just the undead, but they're starting to creep outside of the plague lands. They're starting to creep outside of the, the Scarlet monasteries and starting to breach down. And then we start with having to deal with them. And then the twilight's hammer starts acting up again. And we, we've killed all of their gods. We've literally killed every single thing that called to them multiple times. In some cases, we've, blasted one with a Titan-esque origination beam in order to decimate it, or at least that's what we were told we were doing. So where are they getting their orders from? Why are they all of a sudden, because don't forget the Twilight's Hammer had priests. Like, they had priests that wielded the light. They, 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 not just shadow priests. Benedictus was one of them. Uh, you go into Twilight Bastion. There are healing priests inside of Twilight Bastion. You go to the area around it. There are priests dealing with that. But all of a sudden now they start surging forward in greater numbers and organized numbers. And we're sitting there trying to figure out why. And then what happens when the Titan facilities start to fall or become breached or go offline? We know that Alduar is off limits to us, at least as far as uh, communication goes as of the last expansion. At the end of Battle for Azeroth, we reach out to all of the Titan facilities to bring them online to get all their power through the origination beam, except for Alduar. And the Alduar, I believe it was Mimron, just goes, nope, and cuts it off. We still don't know what happened there. We don't know why he decided to do that. We don't know what is going on there. But what if it turns out that these wielders of the light, this this army of the light, this lightbound force starts to understand a little bit more about the nature of Azeroth itself, that Azeroth is a Titan soul, that the void seeks the Titan soul to corrupt it and create a void Titan. Well, maybe they would start to look at things and think, what if we made a light Titan instead? What if we brought the illumination to this scared, nascent soul that is having nightmares that has been ravaged and beaten and bloodied and has been stabbed, who has no family because its family has abandoned it. That the champions who mean well, who want to do well, just aren't doing enough. What if we, what if we show it the light too? What if we take Naru prime that's leading us, whatever their name is and bring it to a temple of the alone and, or, or bring it, to a Titan machinery that is linked into funneling the energy back into the planet and start dumping gobs and gobs and gobs of light into it to try to transform it. And then we find out that maybe there's earthquakes. Maybe the planet starts to heal suddenly and spontaneously. And we don't understand why. And then we start to find out that this lightbound force has been doing this behind our backs that has been taking this fight to try to clear uh, the orcs and try to clear the undead and try to clear all this. And that was all them riling up these forces to give them purpose, to bring them into the fold, to save Azeroth. And ultimately they're trying to make their own light Titan, not because of any malice, not because that they, they think that it's, you know, just some fun thing to do, but because of their, their mind, it's how they purify this soul. It's how they bring illumination to the soul and make it so that the void can't corrupt it anymore. The void can't have a champion, can't have whatever it wanted. It will reject the infection that has been trying to creep into it for 10,000 years or more. I forgot how long ago the Black Empire was. Uh, A lot more than 10,000 years. 10,000 years ago was the Shattering. Sure. So uh, an eon of go. 
Actually, was it the Shattering or the Sundering? I think it was the Sundering. sundering. Yeah. Shattering was Cataclysm. Okay. Correct. We're back on track. Too, too many, but yeah, too many, I mean, too many things, uh, too many events to keep track of, folks. Yeah, but as you're, everything you're talking about is one of the things that's really interesting about Titans in the first place is that they obviously can use the light, but they don't personify it. Like mm-hmm. they, it's just a tool to them. So a Titan that was actually infused with the light. And the thing is, is that like, as you're pointing out from their perspective, all of this is done to help. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not doing this because they're genocidal ma- maniacs who want to like, like create a monster that will blow up the universe. They want to save it. It's just that they don't only, they only see one way forward mm-hmm. to them. The, un, the, it doesn't matter that the forsaken might be people who, you know, have hopes and dreams or whatever, have you, they're still, they, they're, they're abominations. Yeah. That, yeah. They're abominations that must be destroyed. It's unfortunate that, that you are that thing, but you are that thing and you must be destroyed. They would feel bad as they destroyed you. Um, it comes back down to the other thing is when you're fighting this army of light people, whatever their goals are, keep in mind always this quote from Terry Pratchett. If someone has you down the barrel, if someone is, is got you in their power and, and intends to kill you, pray that it's an evil man. Yep. Cause an evil man will want to gloat a good person who's decided that you have to die is just going to kill you and, and go on. They're not going to sit here and they're not going to exult in how glorious the power is. They're going to get this unpleasant task over with as fast as possible and move forward. So they would probably just show up at Lordaeron with overwhelming force to to wipe it out. They wouldn't like, they're not going to poison the water supply and then cackle about how evil they are. They're, they're going to try and get this done. You know, it's, it's, it's like having to, you know, squash a bug. They don't want to, this, this is not something they're proud of doing. And that's terrifying Yeah, because it, it strikes away your ability to like, you can't use their ego against them because this is not something they're proud of. This is simply, this is hold my nose, get it done territory for them. So while they're lying to everybody about what they're doing on Azeroth, they don't like doing that. They, they would prefer to just come forward and, and tell you what they're here to do and have you agree with them. And then you'd go do it together, but they're not they sure that that's what will happen. And so they have to be, they have to be careful because they can't let anything stop them. And imagine that, imagine that mindset because it is a real mindset. Think about a force that's, that feels like that. They really do want your help. They want, and they want to help you, but. Because yeah, because if they save your planet and think and like think about it this way, they save Azeroth, right? Put it, put yourself in their perspective. They save Azeroth. They save all all the impurities that get washed away, and now Azeroth doesn't have to suffer the same fate that Draenor suffered. And not only that, but now they get to welcome friends into their army. They get to welcome them to their glorious purpose, to to this universe and multidimensional saving purpose that they have taken on themselves. We save them. They're going to go forth and Hey, we're going to have a light Titan. We can actually take the fight to the void itself. We can go there and we can make sure that their influence, their infection never happens to anyone else. And I often talk about like it's, it's a trope in storytelling, but it's one that holds true for a very good reason. The idea of glorious purpose and, and having sort of that conviction to see your path laid before you can be something that skews you in a way that you don't see. And well, that- I mean, let's be upfront here. Some of the, like some of the, of the, of the movements of history have been people who really honestly believe they were doing the right mm-hmm. thing doing awful things and justifying those things to themselves as necessary. You get a lot of people who will often tell you that the, the horrible thing they're doing is necessary. Yep. Uh, go back to the crusades. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah. Look at like, you know, on their way to Jerusalem, one of the crusades burned Byzantium and sacked it. Byzantium was a Christian city. I was Eastern Orthodox. It wasn't Roman Catholic, but they still burned a huge, powerful, important Christian city and sacked it on their way out. And think about this. This was done because the people who kind of like were behind it were were doing it for mercantile reasons. They were Venetians. They wanted to increase their own power in the, in the East, but, the people doing the actual burning did it because they felt it was necessary on their pro- on their path forward. They thought being a crusader was a noble thing. For hundreds of years, Europeans believed this. Like you see, multiple kings of England go into the Crusades 
or people go to the crusade as a way to expiate sins they've committed in their lives. Like I've done awful things, but now I'll go on the crusade. And obviously if you were a person living anywhere around, you know, Jerusalem or the Holy land, the crusades weren't great. They were like a bunch of invading maniacs. And from the perspective of the people living in the area, the Franks, and they called everybody Franks because they, what the heck difference does it make to me? I don't know who these people are. They were all nutcases who wore like these heavy chainmail suits in the blazing sun and didn't even seem to care that they smelled awful. And, you know, just everything about them was like, what are these nutcases doing? They're attacking. We we had a deal. Why are they burning our cities? Why are they trying to take over our cities? You know, but the people doing it really felt like they were doing the right thing. Like this had to be done. That mindset is all over people who who, who choose the light. And, and usually it's true because this is a video game and not real life where things are complicated, but you can bring in some of that complication and make villains out of it. Villains that will be different than any villains World of Warcraft has ever had. And it can end in a way that I think is different than how we usually deal with villains in this perspective. In particular, I think it's because of who would be leading this objective or this force, which would be Urel. And we've talked about how Urel lost all of the guidance of Velen. We still have a Velen. He's still here. He hasn't really done much. And since he's been kind of dealing with the fallout of everything that happened in the last couple of expansions, so understandable. But what happens when he sees an advocate of the light doing atrocities. I think in that final conflict in whatever we do to stop. And, and I do think it comes back to the temple of a And I think it's, it's, we stop this purification process instead of being all fell ridden. It's just riddled with the light and, and almost like a bastion of the light. I think we go in there and we try to stop Urel and we try to talk her out of whatever she's doing with the engine. Uh, with whatever Naru influence she's doing. And I think it ends with Velen stepping forward. Urel hasn't seen Velen, at least to my knowledge, since her Velen died. Yeah. And it's, it, her point, keep in mind that this Urel is a solid 30 years ahead of that Velen, that one. Correct. This is a, an older Urel who's been through a lot and has decided this is the way to go. But now she sees our Velen and our Velen approaches her and tries to tell her, look, I understand what you're doing. I understand where you're coming from, but look at the destruction you're wreaking. Look what path you're blazing behind you. Because that's the thing, right? The Lightbound Army doesn't look behind them. They look forward. They look down the path. They look to that next task, what they have to do, what they need to do, what has to be done. Matt pointed this out you know, a couple times during this podcast recording, and it's right. It's it's very task oriented in how they, per- they they proceed through what they have to do. Nothing will stop them from accomplishing that goal. But part of that is because they don't look back. What happens when they're forced, in particular when Urel is forced to look back at cities burning, children dying, or the consequences of their actions beyond the accomplishment of their goal that they think they need to move forward? And this face, this voice, this mentorship that she once had that she thought was gone forever is now telling her, stop listening to everything that that light creature is telling you. You can say no. You can think for yourself. And does that shatter her? Does that shatter everything that she's done over the course of decades at this point? Or does this cause her to step back and side with us at the last moment? And, and for that matter, I mean, there's always the possibility that Urel, at some point before we get to that point, turns to whoever is leading the, the light bound and says, um, are we sure this is the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and is reassured or isn't reassured and perhaps is reassured a couple of times, but eventually just like, you know, I can't, uh, I, you know, you don't understand. I lived in a world where like we were invaded and people were stolen from their homes and, and sacrificed on altars. And now I'm doing that. And that's not, I cannot be part of this. You know, there's all sorts of ways you can go with it, Uh, whatever they're doing. And while the light Titan idea is actually pretty interesting and I'm, I'm starting to think about that, like other ways to go with it. They could, they could have some other idea, you know, maybe they want to do something else. Maybe they just want to convert everybody. Maybe it's not Azeroth they want. Maybe it's a loon. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you know, because a loon is a being of light. Perhaps they're trying to reach a loon. Um, there's a lot of possibilities. They could have find out that in this world, Zara was killed and they might want revenge. Mm-hmm. Like for all we know, since keep in mind that the Maghar stuff, it's quite possible that when, then when, uh, Illidan killed Zara, that he killed all Zara. Yeah. The ripples traverse time and space. Well, we've, we've seen before with the Legion and like fell entities that, that we've, we've been told that there's only one. And we've been told in the Shadowlands that like there's a braided series of lives go into one essence, mm-hmm. uh, which I still don't understand. But imagine if when Illidan killed Zera, he killed them all. He killed every Zera at at the decisive moment. The light the lightbound lost their leader, and now Urel's had to do everything herself. And maybe she's she comes to this world to find the person that killed her, you know, mentor and deal with it. Maybe she, maybe they show up and there's no peace and there's no welcoming them mm-hmm. because they mm-hmm. show up and they just hit. Like the first thing they do is like descend on the, the Exodar and attack it. Maybe, or they show up over like Orgrimmar and suddenly there's just fire and chaos and the, you know, the, the orcs have to withdraw from their own capital. And, you know, the rest of Azeroth is not entirely certain if they should help the Horde or not initially, but after like a couple more strikes, they're like, okay, we got to, this is apparently a real thing and we have to do it. And now you've got like Draenei Vindicators having to fight Draenei Vindicators. You've got Lightforged versus Lightbound and they have like, every fight is like ripping off your own skin because that's, maybe that's even you. Or, or certainly it's it's recognizable to you. There's a lot of ways you could do it, but ultimately there's no I don't there's no real issue with this. There's nothing about the light that would prevent this from happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've seen this in microcosm dozens of times. Like when you go if you go in as a blood elf paladin into Naxxramas, uh ten or twenty five, you fight Zeliac. He's throwing the light right at you. You know when we go into Throne of Thunder. Yeah, Benedictus, who is straight up working for the old gods, is still like burning you with the light and healing himself with it. So, yeah, the light doesn't. That's one of the reasons I find the narrow so fascinating because the light itself does not have a like does not have agendas the way that the beings that use it do. And the, the Zera, Zera is somebody I almost wish she. I want her almost to come back. Like I straight up want her to be at the lead of this army, so we get to see more of that being and see how it thinks. Because it was such clearly, a departure from the other Naru that we were yeah. what we thought of Naru, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I want to see more of that. I want to see this being that that is at the same time motherly. It mm-hmm. is. It, it it wants to help you. It it wanted to help Illidan. It honestly believed it was helping Illidan. It it's that thing where there's a fine line between helping and doing it for people and stagnating them. That is something that is really interesting to watch unfold. Like there's always comes that point. You have to let go and let people make their own mistakes. Even if you know, this is going to turn out terrible. If you know, this is a, a complete mistake, this thing you're doing, it's going to hurt you. You're going to suffer for, for years. All you have to do is just not do it. And you'll have a much better, happier life, but you cannot live their life for them. And that is the real overreach of Zara. Zara wants to live Illidan's life for him. Mm-hmm. She's going to take away his choices because he makes the wrong ones. And that I think is the real core of what the, the real heart of what having any sort of light based entity show up, even if it wasn't like the, the light bound from other Draenor, if it was some other form of light wielders, it's always that paternalism. It's that idea that they know better than you Yep. and whether or not you agree does not matter to them. Yep. And so I think that that's really where you want to aim for in any story about that. There are a ton of possibilities, and I think it actually would be something interesting because it would be a departure from a lot of the things that we are used to. And I'm okay with that. I would be okay with something that that sort of turns the idea of traditional villainism on its head uh, in whatever we deal with, because it has been sort of, I don't want to say monochromatic, but... The bad guy has been pretty clearly the bad guy for the majority of the time we've been in Azeroth playing World of Warcraft. Something like this, where it would make players feel complicated emotions at what we're dealing with, I think would be very welcome. I don't know if it'll ever happen, 
but it is an idea. And I do hope that you have appreciated or enjoyed this uh, exercise as we think about what it would be like to potentially fight the light and why it makes a certain amount of sense that in that we would fight those that wield the light. But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And as a last reminder, I would like to say that all of us at Blizzard Watch do still stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard in demanding change for a better tomorrow and a safer working environment. And if you have any topics or questions that you would like us to cover or you think would be fun for us to do an episode on, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. If you are a Patreon supporter and want to get it to our eyesight without email, you can send it to us on our Discord channel uh, where we have Patreon queue and podcast questions. Uh, and if you can't support us there, we understand times are tough. Uh, we do have a queue and podcast questions channel. By all means, drop us a line in there. But thank you very much for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.